Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 as we look to God's word this morning to worship him. As you turn there, I want you to imagine that late one quiet evening, a friend comes banging on your front door. You let them in, they have a troubled look on their face and you say, what's going on? And they say, our government has just been overthrown by an anti-Christian regime. They're going around, they're searching homes and burning all the Bibles and they are in your neighborhood now. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? I love my Bible, I need my Bible. It's where God speaks to me. It's how he changes me, transforms me. And your friend responds almost in a whisper, three pages. Tear out three pages and no more. Fold them up and put them in your pocket. They won't find them if it's only three pages of your Bible. If that were to happen, what three pages of the Bible would you quickly tear out, neatly fold up and, and hide in your pocket or in your shoe or wherever? As this soldier from this regime came walking down the sidewalk, what, what pages would you turn to in God's word? See, the point I want to get across is that all of God's word is precious. David, the, the king and the psalmist, a man after God's own heart, said that God's word is more precious, far more precious than gold, even much fine gold or any other earthly possession. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that scripture is able to make us wise unto salvation and it is able to make us complete and equipped for every good work. All of scripture, all of scripture is precious, but there are some passages, there are some pages of the Bible, you could say, that are more important, more vital than others. There are some that are more important for you understanding the glory of God. There are some that are more important than looking to the for looking to the gospel of Jesus Christ and some that are more important to be transformed into his image. And so I am not talking down on the Bible, but if that anti-Christian regime came walking down your sidewalk and you could only take three pages there comes a realization that some passages are more important than others. And so how would you think of that? How would you decide? You don't have much time, you know, they're, they're coming down the sidewalk. You've already seen them going into your neighbor's houses. I would commend to you today, Exodus chapter 20, the giving of the 10 commandments as one of those most precious passages. And I would, even, even deeper than that, I would commend to you uh, even just verse 3, the first of the Ten Commandments, as one of the most important verses in all the Bible. And I want to show you that today, and I want to show you why it is so significant, why they are so uh, important for both the Israelites, but also for us today. But I also because we're, we're going to be in the Ten Commandments for, for a little while as we move through Exodus, I want us to make sure 
that we understand how to obey the Ten Commandments without obliterating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that there's a, a very important distinction between obeying for righteousness and obeying from righteousness. And so these are things that I want us to understand today and understand them well so that as we move into the next weeks, we can be excited to learn about the Ten Commandments because we see that they're so important, but that we will apply them in a way that gives God glory is for our good and for the good of those around us as well. And so if you want to follow along in your Bibles or up on the screen, here is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. Again, what I believe to be one of the most significant passages in all of the Bible. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for the Bible. What an unspeakable privilege that we have your word, your self-revelation, your path to life written for us. And God, we, we do live in a time where we have such easy access to Bibles and we have uh, likely many copies of them and we don't have an anti-Christian regime trying to burn them yet. But Lord, there are 1,189 chapters in the Bible and we have finite minds. And so we ask for direction today that you would help us to know what passages to pay most attention to. Lord, would you help us today as we just begin to look into the Ten Commandments to see your glory in them and also to see the gospel through them, Lord. And that our lives would be transformed by it, that we would walk in greater obedience and godliness and love for one another. God, we need you to do this miraculously in our hearts today as we engage our minds with your word. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I do want to show you why I believe that, that this passage, and specifically verse 3, by, by the way, that's just the first of the Ten Commandments, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me, and it will go on and list nine more uh, as chapter 20 continues. But I, I want to show you, uh, as, as we just get going here, the particular significance, the significance of the Ten Commandments. Because you say, there's so much in the Bible. Why would you just focus in here and say that this is one of the most important passages? I mean, are you going to do that the next week and the next week and the next week? I will because we'll still be looking at the Ten Commandments. But am I going to say that about every passage, that this is the, the most significant passage? No, I am not. Exodus, by God's uh, guiding and, and Moses, you know, being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Exodus the way it is, and even the historical actions that, that happen here are going to show us that there is a special significance to these Ten Commandments. And God is going to go to great lengths 
to make sure that we don't miss it, that the Israelites don't miss it, uh, but that we also don't miss it as we study these uh, passages 3,400 years later. And so I want to show you at least four reasons we can see from Exodus that this is a very significant passage of Scripture. First, we have a stunning situation. If you were here last week, I hope you remember what happened at Mount Sinai. The people have been wandering through uh, the wilderness now for, for over two months, and they finally come to uh, Mount Sinai, and there God uh, ha- call, talks to Moses on Mount Sinai, and he says, have the people, con- or sorry, consecrate the people and have the people wash their clothes. Do that for two days, and on the third day, I will appear. And so the people uh, are, are consecrated by Moses for these two days, and they wash their clothes. And then if you remember, I mean, you just got to understand how stunning of a scene this would have been. A dark cloud descends upon Mount Sinai, and there are great thunders and lightnings. Okay, so well, that, that's, you know, a storm, whatever. It's kind of lower than normal. And then a trumpet starts blasting out of Mount Sinai. A la- I mean, a very loud trumpet blast. And it says it was getting louder and louder. And that was to call the people to come to the foot of the mountain. That's what the trumpet blast was for. Come now, pay attention. That is, by the way, what they did uh, in these times to get people's attention. If, they, if the king had a statement to make, they would blow a trumpet and people would know to come to uh, the gate or to the public square where this address would be given. And so this trumpet is blasting out of the mountain. And then it says that the whole mountain was as though it were on fire and the smoke of it went up as a kiln. And that was the presence of holy God, our holy God on that mountain. Fire on that mountain. This is a significant setting. The mountain, it says, was literally trembling because it was so startling. This was such a crazy situation. And this is the setting in which God is going to give the Ten Commandments. But the next thing you need to see is is second up there, um, a missing mediator. So it's not only a stunning uh, situation, there's a missing mediator. Look look there at chapter 20, verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying... Now what you need to understand is... What's significant about that is Moses is still down at the bottom of the mountain with the people. Moses has not yet ascended up to the mountain to listen to God. He had already done that before and God sent him back down. But now the trumpets have sounded and Moses brings the people to the foot of the mountain. And this is what happens. And God spoke all these words saying. What that means is God chose in this moment not to speak to a, speak through a mediator. I mean, you think about it. In, in biblical times, when God the Father would speak, he almost always would do it through a prophet, through a mediator, and they would go share it with the masses. This is what's gone on so far uh, in the book of Exodus. And this is what we'll resume after this 
event in chapter 20. In fact, it will resume right after the giving of the Ten Commandments. That is, that is when it will no longer be God speaking to the masses without a mediator. Now, uh, I did my best even to think of uh, other times that this happens in the Bible. And I, I mean, I could be wrong. I could be missing it. But the only time, I, other times I can think of God audibly speaking, God the Father audibly speaking to a group of people is two more times in the New Testament. Can anyone name those? Baptism and transfiguration. Boom. We are going to come back to that later. But that is how significant this is. That I mean, I could be wrong, but I can only think of those two other examples in all the Bible of God actually speaking to a group of people. And even at the baptism and transfiguration, it was a much smaller group of people. Transfiguration was three people. Um, anyways, the baptism would have been uh, more crowds there. But this is significant. And, and, and again, this was so startling and significant that in verse 19 of chapter 20, uh, we see that the people will say, Moses, don't let God talk to us anymore. Let him talk to you and then you tell us what he said, lest we die. This is how, how unusual this was for God not to speak through a mediator. They say, we heard God's voice and we don't want it anymore. This is significant. Do you, do you get that? That so far God has made a mountain be on fire and trumpets coming out of it. And now he is speaking without a mediator, something that had never happened before at this point, And then it won't really happen again for thousands of years. God is making sure we recognize this is significant and it is personal. God's presence comes on the mountain, then God's mouth speaks to the people. But then we see thirdly here, a stone inscription. A stone inscription. Ho hopefully you know what I'm talking about here, is God will, will take two tablets of stone and God will literally write the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. You say, okay, so he told Moses to write it? No, God will literally write it. The finger of God, it says. God will write down, not every single command in the law, but he will write down the Ten Commandments on these tablets of stone, front and back. Now, what's significant there is, again, you have that personal nature that God says, I'm not even going to have Moses write it. I'm going to write it in stone. But he writes it not on paper, not on a wall. That's, again, the only other time that this happens, the writing on the wall from Daniel. Uh, he, he writes it in stone that is portable, but it is permanent. Now, it's arguable because Moses does later throw these stones down, right? But God rewrites them again. But the, that's the whole idea of these stone tablets is this is not something you can erase. This is not something you can change. He filled it up. This is not something you can add to. This is not something you can subtract from. It is set in stone, as they say. Where do you think that saying comes from? <laughs> it's from the Ten Commandments. It's set in stone. This is my commands. God personally gives or sorry, personally writes these and he writes them in stone. This is significant. God uh, will have Moses write down the rest of the law because the Ten Commandments, again, is more or less a preamble to the rest of the law. 
And, go, and Moses will write those down, but he will not write them in stone. It will be in scrolls. But the last thing I want to show you is this, and I'll, I'll be quick here. But the Ten Commandments get a holy home. These tablets, the Ten Commandments, get a holy home. According to Exodus 25, 16, God tells Moses, take these tablets and place them in the ark that they would later build. He's like, so when you build this ark of the covenant, the place where my presence will dwell in the most holy place. I mean, because you have the separation in the tabernacle. You have the holy place and you have the most holy place, the holy of holies, if you will. And there you have the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, the mercy seat, whatever you would like to call it. And God says, these 10 commandments that I have spoken with my mouth, that I have written with my finger, I want those inside the Ark. Again, very significant. The rest of the law that Moses writes down will be set beside the Ark. But these 10 commandments will be inside the Ark. And so I just want you to get how how significant this is. God went to great lengths to make sure we pay special attention to Exodus 20 and these 10 commandments. It's a stunning setting. You have this missing mediator, you have this inscription in stone, and those stones find a holy home in the presence of God. And all of it is very personal. It is God doing it personally. And all of it is meant to stand out as peculiar and significant, both for Israel and for us. I would say that there are some interesting things about this. It means that the Ten Commandments, God is making sure we understand that they are near and dear to his heart. I would say there are even enough pointers here that say these Ten Commandments are a reflection of who God is, his character. That's part of them being in the ark and coming from the mouth of God and the finger of God. It is, this is a reflection of who I am. This is perfection. This is virtue in these commands and it is who I am. And if you would obey them, you would reflect who I am to the world. Remember that? You'll be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. You obey these commands and you will show the world how great I am because it is a reflection of who God is and his perfection. So I I want you to understand in the Bible, the Ten Commandments are not just like a fun little thing to have kids memorize or, you know, that they they, will put them in the courtroom and, you know, we we fight for them to be in school. I want to say that's good, and we should fight for them to be in our, on our school walls and things like that. But I would fight much harder for them to be in your heart. Because these are significant. And, and not just for uh, giving a religious look to uh, an establishment, but to change us, to, to, to transform us. And God made sure we understood these are significant. And that's why we're going to go slow We're going to look at the Ten Commandments, each one, and we're going to say, what did that mean for Israel? What does that mean for us? Because this is a reflection of who God is. This is the way God wants us to live. And he wanted us to know it, and he shouted it out, literally blast a trumpet so that we would pay attention to them. This is the significance of the Ten Commandments. The next thing I want to show you, though, 
is, is some people would say, well, what about all the other commands God gives? I mean, literally, after, uh, after the Ten Commandments, God is going to continue to give over 600 more commands in the law of Moses. Do those not matter? <laughs> Are we only worried about these Ten Commandments? Well, what about this? What about the commands in the New Testament? What, what about, you know, the, these, uh, the golden rule, treat others as you'd want to be treated, love your neighbor as yourself? What, what about things like that? But what about uh, the Great Commission, right? The Master's Mission. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. Go therefore and make disciples and train disciples. That is a New Testament command. There, It's explicit. So are we not supposed to worry about that because these Ten Commandments are so important? Well, what I want to show you is that is actually a misunderstanding of the Ten Commandments. What I want to show you is that all those other commands were important because they found their foundation in the Ten Commandments. This is what I want to show you next, the centrality of the Ten Commandments. And again, I just want you to, to desire the Ten Commandments, to love and want to learn them and apply them in your life. And so I want you to see the centrality of the Ten Commandments. And so, I mean, I, I challenge you if, you, if you want to try it, See if you can find even one command in the Bible, Old and New Testament, that cannot be traced right back to the Ten Commandments. Trust Jesus, right? That's actually a command. Repent and believe. I would say you can tie that right back to the first commandment, have no other gods before me. And we're, we're going to look at that more in just a moment. But, I mean, you can do this with, with all these ver with all these commands, rather. You can tie it back to the great <laughs> not the great, the Ten Commandments. You can tie the Great Commission back to the Ten Commandments. If we're supposed to live for the glory of God and the good of others, which is ultimately what we see in the Ten Commandments, then we will tell them about Jesus. Yes, we will. And so I want to take this a step further. I told you I think one of the most important verses, just actual verses, not even passages, is that first command. You shall have no other gods before me. This is where God starts. And I think it's where we need to start as well. Because if, if the Ten Commandments are the, the foundation and the center of all other commands, I would say that the first of the Ten Commandments is the center and the foundation of the other nine. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the absolute center of obedience. This is the core of what it means to walk in righteousness rather than sin. Whether or not we obey this command, have no other gods before me. This is meaning that God is first and foremost in our lives. You see that? no other gods before me. That means we treasure, we prize, we value, we worship, we give our attention to nothing above God. It's interesting, I, I put it up there on the screen, but I looked into this Hebrew word and it can also be translated besides me. That's a, maybe even a footnote in your Bible. Yeah, my, mine has a footnote in the Bible, number two, or besides. So think about this, this is important. The first commandment, in the, in the Ten Commandments is not only that we don't elevate things above God, 
but that we dare not put things beside God. God is not only to be worshiped above all else, he is to be worshiped alone. Jesus made this very clear. Uh, Matthew, what is it, 624, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. His point was, you can't tr say, okay, I'm gonna serve and worship God, but I'm also going to worship pleasure. I'm also going to worship money and the possessions. I'm also going to worship my own prestige and what people think of me. Don't worry, I'll worship God, but I'll worship these other things as well. No, you shall have no other God before me, and again, that term is also, you shall have no other God besides me. We worship God and God alone. And I just want you to think about how, how all these other commands are fulfilled in having no gods before or beside the one true God. Why do people covet their neighbor's possessions. That's the 10th commandment. Why do people steal? Why do people lie? Why do people refuse to rest? It is because they have possessions, money, success as a God beside God. Why do people covet their neighbor's wife? Why do they commit adultery? Well, it's because they desire or are serving pleasure in addition to serving God. And so there's always this competition going on when we try to serve two gods. And that is where all these other commands are broken is in first breaking that first commandment. We are worshiping, we are serving, we are giving our affection, our attention to something other than God anytime we still kill, lie, commit adultery, covet, all these things. It is always found at the root of the problem is an exchange of gods and trying to have multiple gods, to be polytheistic, <laughs> honestly. It's kind of a syncretism. We're just going to, yeah, I'll take God, but I'm going to keep these other gods as well. And this is why it's no wonder that God makes the Ten Commandments so significant because all the other commands in the Bible, all 600 something of the law of Moses, then all that we see in the New Testament, they all find their significance. They all find their center in the Ten Commandments. And at the, even the center of those, we find God. Have no other gods before me. This is why the Ten Commandments are so important because it is impossible to obey for obedience sake. Do you get that? It is impossible to obey the Ten Commandments just for obedience sake because the first of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before God. And so if you are obeying the Ten Commandments, you will be prizing, you will be treasuring, you will be valuing God, not your own self-righteousness, not your own morality, how people think of you, whether they think you're good or bad. You won't care about those things because you will be having God alone as the center of your universe. It is freedom that is found in this, by the way. And, and, and that's something I want to talk to you about. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, 
you will obey all my commandments. Oh, I forgot to read uh, Luke 10, 27. That's just to show you, if you love God, you'll love others. Jesus said the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. In the mind of Jesus, if you are obeying this first commandment, you're loving God, if he is your only God, then you will love others. That will be the result. And so this is, again, what I want to tell you, that if we truly prize God, if he really is our treasure, if we have no God before or beside him, then obedience to the Ten Commandments or any other commandment will not be pulling teeth. It will not be a burden to us. Because if we love God, we'll obey his commandments. And that's the third thing I want to show you, is the satisfaction of the Ten Commandments. The satisfaction of the Ten Commandments. You may not believe it, but God gave the Ten Commandments so that you might find your satisfaction in him. Your supreme satisfaction in him you will find in the Ten Commandments. But this happens in two ways. And we got we to make sure we get this first one in its place. First, through the Ten Commandments, God wants you to be satisfied in Christ. Through the Ten Commandments, God wants you to be satisfied in Christ, in him alone, in his righteousness. I say that because Romans 7, 7, uh, Paul says, If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Is that, you shall not covet? I mean, that's, that's the 10th of the 10 commandments. He said, so if it had not been for the law, if it had not been for the 10 commandments, I would not have known sin. I would have still been sinning, but I wouldn't have known that I was sinning, Paul is saying. You say, well, how is that good news? How does that bring us satisfaction to realize that we're sinners? To realize that we have rebelled in every way against God. By the way, show hands who has obeyed all of the Ten Commandments perfectly all your life. How about today, (laughs) since you woke up this morning? Who has obeyed all the Ten Commandments perfectly? Me neither. And by the way, if you take Jesus' interpretation of the Ten Commandments, I would say I have broken all of them, at least from the heart. And so that's a really big problem. That doesn't immediately bring satisfaction. But what we need to understand is that a knowledge of sin is what points us to the Savior. A knowledge of sin is what points us to the Savior. And we will come back to that in just a moment. But what first I want to point out is this Savior. So you guys remember that the only times I could think of, and you can maybe think of others, but the only times I can think of in the whole Bible that God the Father audibly speaks to a group of people is right here in Exodus chapter 20, right? I mean, this is a huge, significant thing. And then later it happens at the baptism of Jesus and at the transfiguration of Jesus. And what is it that God says those other two times? Oh, man. If you can forward my slide. If, I don't know if we even have anyone in there working. My, my thing died. Thank you. You see those top two. I, I listed there for you what it is God said. The only other times I can think of other than the giving of the Ten Commandments. You see it there? God speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's the baptism. 
Then Matthew 17, 5, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So the only other time, this is significant, this is important. The only other time I can think of God the Father speaking in the hearing of a group of people, he is telling them, not the Ten Commandments this time, but the pleasure he has in his son. And so what's significant about that is, Paul said in Romans 7, 7, I would not have known sin without the law telling me thou shalt not covet. I wouldn't have realized I was coveting. But then you go a few verses forward and you see Romans 8, 1. This is, this is so important. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's important wording. It doesn't say for those who have believed in Christ Jesus. It's for those who are in Christ Jesus. Galatians, I think it's chapter 3, talks about that, that we, be, we become the children of God in Christ Jesus. We become clothed with Christ Jesus. And that's talking about in reference to the law. It's no longer our keeping or breaking of the Ten Commandments or any other command derived from them. It is Christ. And so get this, friends. This is why the Ten Commandments should satisfy you. The Ten Commandments reveal that you are a sinner. Every day that you break the Ten Commandments, you should be reminded again, maybe not that you're, you're a sinner at that point, but that you still struggle with the flesh, that you give in when you should not. And yet what that reminds us, though, is I am in Christ. And what does God say when he looks upon you? You may not hear it from the clouds, but you can read it in the Bible. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. God says that about you. God said positionally, you are clothed in Christ. And so God sees you and he sees righteousness. He sees command keeping. He sees someone who has never, ever had another God before God who has never had a competing God, who has never given in to lust or greed or lying. That's what God sees when he looks at you and he is pleased. Isn't that crazy? I, I mean, I just know myself so well that it is hard for me to even accept that God could be pleased with me. Every single day, I break one or more of the Ten Commandments. And yet God looks upon me and he's pleased. He loves me. He loves you. He accepts you. He is happy to call you his beloved child. This brings me great satisfaction. And so I want you to remember this as we continue studying the Ten Commandments in the future. God's love for you, God's pleasure in you is not based upon your performance and your keeping of this commandment, but on Christ Jesus who has clothed you with his righteousness. You must remember that or you will mess up the Ten Commandments. You are meant to find your satisfaction in Christ, not in your own performance. But that does not mean that the Ten Commandments are irrelevant for us and that we should not pursue obedience to them. And so that's the next thing I want to show you. God wants you to pursue satisfaction in actual obedience. He wants you to pursue satisfaction in actually, not just positionally, but actually obeying the Ten Commandments. And when I say pursue satisfaction in obedience, again, I'm not talking about obedience for obedience sake, 
but obedience for God's sake, obedience to find your satisfaction in God and Him alone. Because when you choose to obey the commandments, you choose to delight in the Lord. You choose to find your satisfaction in the Lord because you have no other gods before me. That again was that second, or sorry, the first of the Ten Commandments. But what this does, what this does, I put up there, and you guys, if you've been here long at all, you know these verses because they're some of my favorite. Jesus says this, John 15, 10 and 11, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is talking about a superior satisfaction than your sin can bring. Do you understand that? The sin I pursue, it's fleeting pleasure, it's temporal, it's, it's honestly hollow at the end of the day. But the joy that Jesus is talking about, the satisfaction he is talking about, and he literally says that my joy, this is divine joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the type of joy that comes from obedience. And so when we say, I want Christ's joy in me, I want my, my, my heart to be full of joy in God. I want that deep joy. I want that truly satisfying joy. When we do that, we show that God is supreme. We obey even when our flesh wants to do something else because we know that God is supreme. I want his joy more than just this hollow joy. Does that make sense? In that, God is glorified in you choosing him over this, this sin. And in that, you find your satisfaction in him. Again, it is not delight in obedience itself. It is obedience to delight in God. This is a beautiful reality. We do not obey the commandments in order to earn God's love. We have God's love in Christ. He has clothed us with commandment keeping. And we do not obey the Ten Commandments to, to earn uh, uh, God's favor or anything like that. We do it to experience his love, to experience his glory. This is how we must approach the Ten Commandments. They are good. They reflect who God is. He's made sure we look at them and we can find great satisfaction in knowing I haven't kept them, but Christ has and I'm clothed in him. And now by his power, I can pursue actual obedience where Christ's joy can be in me and my joy can be full. Th this is why I'd be tearing out this page of my Bible and folding it up and put it in my pocket if they came knocking on my door to burn my Bible. It's, it's just, the, it's the center. And, it, and God is at the center of, of the Ten Commandments. And, and it is the, the path to, to continually finding our satisfaction in Christ because it will always show us our need but it's also something that we should actually do to find our joy in God. And so I hope that you'll commit with me over these next how many ever weeks, I don't know, it will take us to study the Ten Commandments, to look at them hard, to see Christ in them, to be amazed that he fulfilled them all perfectly, 
and that he has placed those upon us, his perfection on us, but also to pursue your delight in God as you walk in obedience to these commands. That's what I want to challenge you to do. I'm going to now do communion with you. And, and I want you to remember, this is why you can find satisfaction in the Ten Commandments. As you uh, pray, uh, you know, as you, you take these uh, elements, remember the reason God can say, Douglas, Dave, Miss Carrie, you are my beloved child with you, I'm well pleased. The only reason he can do that is because of the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's just nothing greater in the world than that God can say that and he will continue to say that forever. And so I want you to just join me in prayer even now. And then you can take your time in your seats and come up and get your elements. And I'll let you know when we're about to take them together. But join me in prayer now. Father God, forgive us for thinking so little of the Ten Commandments. For thinking they were just a little memory thing that we did in Sunday school for thinking they're just something that should be in schools. Lord, thank you for blowing the trumpet this morning, for calling our attention to the Ten Commandments because they are good, they are pleasing in your sight, and you are at the center of them. God, we want to have no other God before you or beside you in our lives. We thank you that Christ has covered our sin and clothed us with his righteousness. And we thank you that, that each and every day through Christ's work and through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can pursue actual obedience to these commands that were meant to be for our satisfaction in you. God, if anyone in this room is holding on to sin, believing it is more satisfying than obeying you, God, help them right now to feel in their stomach and in their mind and in their heart how foolish that is. You have given commands for their good that they might find delight in you. Lord, help them in this time as they, they take communion to turn from those sinful, foolish ways. God, empower us to do that. And God, again, if there is anyone in this room who has not yet trusted in Jesus, help them to recognize they still stand condemned by these same Ten Commandments before you, but they can have cleanness. They can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus and clothed with His righteousness if they would but trust in His finished work on the cross and in the resurrection. Lord, do these things, I pray, as we take this communion in the name of Jesus. You can just continue in, in prayer until you are ready to come up and grab the elements.